Barclay and Barton on the Premier League, brought to you in association with Pitch Publishing, the UK's leading independent sportsbook publisher. Also in association with the Sports Freelance Collective. With Walk Wag Play, a dog walking and training company in Cardiff, doing right by your dog, follow on social media at Walk Wag Play. And also, Tony Park Consulting. Helping you and your business grow. Tony Park Consulting at gmail.com. Welcome to the first in a new series, Barkley and Barton on the Premier League. I am Wayne Barton, I'm a football writer and author, and Paddy Barkley is, of course, one of the greatest writers in the history of the game. How are you doing, Paddy? I'm very well, thanks, especially after that introduction, Wayne. Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, um, you can send me the fiver later. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it'd probably be three quid <laughs> in current circumstances, <laughs> but never mind. Yeah, um, as Paddy alluded to, there, these are difficult yeah. times in the UK. They um, are indeed, yes. Um, though the intention that we've got here is to record a series that will stand the test of time, one that you can pick up whenever, it's probably reasonable to discuss the situation behind its creation. So a little bit of background. Um, in November 2019, Paddy and I... I agreed to work on a series with Love Sport Radio dedicated to the post-war history of Manchester United. I really enjoyed that process and hopefully a few of you enjoyed it too. Now, since that series commenced airing, the world has changed considerably. Um, the coronavirus has changed the way everybody is living. And as we begin this journey in mid-March 2020, the day after the government announced the lockdown, there is no way of knowing where it's going at the moment. I say that not to date the product, but to, to timestamp it, really, um, both yes. Paddy and I wanted to do something to address the declining amount of original content for football supporters. I'm a you know I'm a United supporter though, and I thoroughly enjoyed our United shows, but um, I wanted to do something where my objectivity is tested a little bit and Paddy's neutral neutrality is brought to the fore a little bit more. Um, yes. We had this fresh idea that we wanted to try. It's said that nostalgia helps to release those feel-good chemicals like dopamine. I will say this, it works for me, and I hope it's going to translate for listeners too. So without further ado, let's talk about the Premier League. And really, where we should start is at the formation of the Premier League and the necessity for the rebrand from the old Football League. And it's fair to say that English football needed a facelift, but the driving force, as it is with everything, was money. If I'm allowed to begin with a cheap plug, and I promise there won't be too many of them, <laughs> um, my recently released book, Quesar focuses on Manchester United's Sexton and Atkinson eras, but probably just as significant was that it included the hiring of Martin Edwards as chairman of the club. Edwards had many ideas to increase the financial success of United, and he really worked at that. And one of the prominent names, um, he was one of the prominent names at club level who were involved with what was known as the Blackout in 1985, where clubs and television companies could not agree a deal for games to be shown on television. The stations felt football was overvaluing itself, particularly as people at home could now watch American sports and entertainment. Football clubs had originally viewed television revenue as a means of making up the shortfall so they expected, expected that attendances would decline if people could watch on television. So they wanted to ensure that they were compensated in, in that eventuality. Yeah. Edwards and other Football League club chairmen understood that the television companies were raking it in from the advertising revenue. And concurrently, English football did not have a great reputation due to the behaviour of the fans on the continent. 
And Paddy was really this cocktail of mm. ingredients which would lead to the formation of the Premier League, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. You mentioned 1985 um, and the blackout, um, the the season, which uh, I think Manchester United's best start ever, best start I can never remember. Mm. Um and um, but yes, it was very little of it was seen because of uh, because of that blackout. And uh, you know, the ITV, who were the I think the rights holders at the time, uh, really uh, affected uh, a lack of uh, concern because it was a very small, um, uh, or it seemed at the time, a very small. Uh, arm of the entertainment business. But anyway, the what happened after that Nadia, uh, which I suppose in terms of fan behavior would have, could, can be dated from the spring of 1985 and, and the Hazel atrocity. Um, the um, there were, as we sort of fast forward to the 1992-3 season in the beginning of the Premier League, we are actually talking about a period of cautious optimism. Uh, tendencies had risen uh, for the seventh season in succession. Uh, that was to uh, increase exponentially, but that's we're going ahead of ourselves now. But uh, the seventh successive increase from that nadir, as I say, of 1985-6, um, when attendances rose to 16 million for the whole season. Um, 60, uh, sorry, um, stuck down at, at, at just under 17 million for the whole season. Um, so it was... Um, it, it was a difficult time, but it was also a time of green shoots of recovery, and um, that was really the backbone to the background to the start of the Premier League. And can you tell me, Wayne, um, what was the first B Sky? Obviously, B Sky B was the media partner, uh, the one that was going to be televising the matches. Uh, can you tell me the, what the first match was? It was Nottingham Forest and Liverpool at the City Ground, which was a, a yeah. bizarre choice, right? Because neither, I mean, neither side were champions, uh, mm -hmm. you know. So it's a, a bizarre one to uh, start with. Mm -hmm. Leeds, Leeds were the champions. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leeds were champions as well. Um, and who, who was the first scorer then on on Sky Television? Uh, 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 uh. Actually, I know this. <laughs> It was Teddy Sheringham. But what I think is uh, extraordinary, and again, we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but what is so extraordinary is not that so much that Liverpool lost, um, because uh, Liverpool were moving into an era in which they weren't to become not unfamiliar with the experience of frustration, but... Um, but that Nottingham Forest won. Uh, this was Nottingham Forest under Brian Clough, but unfortunately it, they were to go into a historic season for the wrong way because they were relegated at the end of it. And um, I, I obviously we'll come to this in, in, in sequence. I was actually at the game. Uh, I, have, I have oddly fond memories of it, but... Um, uh, yes, Forest going down under, under Brian Clough was, uh, was the, the sort of... Uh, forgotten uh, consequence of that first uh, Premier League season. Yeah, and especially considering it started so well. They not only had Sheringham, they had uh, Teddy Sheringham. Um, a little known midfielder called Roy Keane in their ranks as well. So they had they uh, did. the makings of a great side there. Uh, they, well, they did. Not only that, that Archie Gemmell was still playing. Uh, Nigel Clough yeah. 
the manager's son was a good good very good footballer um they had a lot of good little players um i mean they in fact it was probably a question of size that cost them in the end size and pace um that cost them in the end but yeah they had a very good uh, team but unfortunately during the season it, they weakened it uh, the uh, forest by losing i think sheringham went that season during the season yeah. and certainly stuart pierce did um, Roy Keane did stay till the end Roy Keane was on the park when they lost the final home game at home to Sheffield United virtually condemning themselves to relegation also um, Des Walker might have moved around that time as well I beg your pardon Des Walker was the other one he'd gone to Sampdoria um, and eventually went to Sheffield Wednesday didn't he after that as well but yes, he it did. was Sampdoria first that's right um, let's talk a little bit about the quality of the sides because we mentioned Leeds United and it, you know been neglecting to you know <laughs> completely gloss over the fact that they were champions. They were the last champions of the old first division, you know. And here is the first test of my objectivity, really, because I've worked with Clayton Blackmore, Mm. Paul Parker, plenty of others of that team, and they insist that United were the better team of that time and that the fixture pile-up of the previous season that had been caused Uh by the progress in cup competitions had hurt them. Um, yeah, you, you could argue that, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it possibly true, although Leeds United did have a very, very good season. I mean, it was particularly strong um, in the last season of the Football League, 1991-2, uh, midfield. I mean, a, a midfield that just rolls off the tongue. Strachan, Gary McAllister, Gary Speed, uh, and David Batty. I mean, all complete, each one completely different, you know, speed with, apart from his ability, tremendous power in the air coming in off the left-hand side, Strachan, a craftsman on the other side, McAllister, probably the supreme technician and designer uh, at sort of inside right, and Batty, who could sniff out trouble and snuff out tackles and snuff out counterattacks so it was a very very good combination of a midfield but in 92-3 it, it just fell apart whether it was the loss of Eric Cantona which uh, I'm not going to be able to stop you from mentioning <laughs> in another context Wayne um, the loss of Eric Cantona who just played a few a, a few games at the beginning of the season um, before being transferred, maybe it was the acrimony. Um, I think also he got injured as well. He, he had a very good start, scored a hat-trick in the charity shield and another hat-trick against, I think, Tottenham. Um, the first hat-trick in the Premier League. Was it really? Yeah, that, that's, that, you know, so, so Cantona was in roaring great form. He uh, got a hamstring injury and um, basically Leeds just went from bad to worse and in fact at the end of the season the champions were only a couple of points clear of the relegation zone so it was uh, it was a mighty mighty fall by Howard Wilkinson's leads yeah they didn't win an away game all season did they either not one not one it's a very strange uh, one especially because I think one thing that should be mentioned um, Mm -hmm. when we're talking about United's uh, Manchester United's sort of collapse at the end of the previous season Leeds were renowned for having incredible fitness levels. Yes. Um, yes. I, no matter who you talk to at Manchester United, they will always talk about Eric Cantona being the best trainer when he arrived at United. But if you talk <laughs> yeah. to any Leeds players of the time, they will rank Gary McAllister and Gordon Strachan as even better trainers than Cantona. Yep. Uh, maybe yeah. that's somewhat to, to do with Eric Cantona's um, attitude in training at Elmwood. <laughs> but, um, but nonetheless... Yeah. 
No, that's true. That's ab- absolutely true. I, I, I mean, Strachan, uh, for example, was quite famous for his, um, you know, dietary. I mean, I see, I still see a bit of Gordon now and again. And honestly, he looks good enough to be a player, even though he's nearly as old as me. But he's, he's. Uh, oh God, I hope he's not listening to this. <laughs> um, and. Uh, uh, I mean, but he looks tremendous. There's not an ounce of fat on him. But he was famous even in those days for um, his reliance on porridge, bananas, you know, all kinds of healthy uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, energy-giving foods that were also n- n- nutritious. And he, so he was head of most footballers himself at that time, yeah. yeah. Uh, they were very, very fit. And Wilkinson was a great believer in, in fitness. And, and I don't know, maybe they just took so much out of themselves. They just, as you say, never got started, particularly away from home in, the, in this 92-3 season. But if, if, if I might just say, it did at least give, and this is quite interesting why doing a, 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 an exercise like this, uh, it's quite good because it gives you perspective. I mean, we are accustomed, we've become accustomed to one, two, at the most three horse races, but the even as little a time ago as 1992-3, there were a there were quite a broad swathe of clubs who had promising seasons, and none more than Norwich. Um, I, I remember the Norwich City uh, team of that time. It was a love, It was my favourite team. Mm. It was a very, very pure footballing side. My favourite player was Ian Crook, a midfield player who didn't quite make it at Tottenham, but is very fondly remembered on uh, in East Anglia to this day. There was Mark Bowen at at, at, at left back, who was a good footballer as well, um, who was. Um, uh, you know, has since become a coach and has, has done a lot of work with Mark Hughes. Um, they, I don't know if you remember the rest of the back four. Um, um, Gunn was in goal. Yeah, Butterworth uh, might have been. Butterworth, absolutely spot on. Butterworth was one of the centre-backs. I think Chris Sutton might have been another of them. Chris Sutton, of course, started as a centre-back. Yeah. People tend to forget that. And then there was a lad called Ian Culverhouse, also formerly of That's Spurs. Right reserves um, then in midfield uh, Jeremy Goss and David Phillips very nicely balanced right foot and left foot there uh, sitting in the midfield with in front of them this wonderful technician Crook um, Rule Fox on one wing I can't remember who was on the other wing uh, it might have been a guy called Such not Screaming That's Lord right, yeah. Such but another guy Daryl Darren Such or something Daryl Such um, and the centre forward you will definitely know who the centre forward was uh, he had um, a certainly scored a lot of goals for a, a club in the northwest. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't score all that many goals, although he did score one extremely significant goal for Manchester United. Um, and he went on to Norwich and did and, and did particularly well in this season. What was his name? Mark Robbins. Correct. Correct. He, he, in fact, I think he was cracking on for 20 league goals for Norwich mm. in this season, 1992-3, which uh, just emphasises what a good side they were from really 1 to 11. Um, and uh, they, they, I, I was watching this morning, knowing um, that we were going to do this. I, I watched a couple of, uh, a few matches, and I watched um, Blackburn 7, Norwich 1. <laughs> and you saw then why they didn't last uh, the championship 
title challenge didn't last to the end because they uh, didn't have pace and power at the back, basically. They're nice, neat little footballers, but uh, uh, they were no match for people like Shearer and Ripley and, uh, and, 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 and the others from Blackburn when they really got going with a bit between their teeth. And, and in fact, that was 7-1 seven, uh, seven, defeat. I, I, I think Norwich ended up about fifth or sixth. But uh, there were other teams. Sheffield Wednesday had a good season. Well, you'll remember how far they pushed Manchester United uh, in the spring at Old Trafford, probably one of the most famous games ever played at Old Trafford. And Sheffield Wednesday had a good season. Um, but David Hurst up front, Chris Waddle brought back from Olympique Marseille. Um, you know, uh, Roland Nilsson at right back, Warhurst, Worthington, Sheringham, Sheridan, I mean, the little midfield yeah. player, Carlton Palmer, uh, Mark Bright. Um, so they had, you know, they, they had a good season as well. And of course, Aston Villa probably uh, were the biggest threat. Uh, to United's hopes for much of the season as well. So a lot of teams, it was actually a good season uh, uh, for the Premier League as a whole, as well as obviously for the team that ended up champions. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about Manchester United all day, but I think probably to talk about this championship side, we'll talk about them in the following episode because they did so much better in, in terms of how they sort of yeah. went about winning the title. But, you know, the, the, the theory about them being the best team in the league at the time uh, with the addition of Cantona uh, before, I mean, I'm talking about the period just before Cantona came along because obviously yeah. they were still saying that they were the best in, in the league, um, certainly, because they, the players felt that the, the cup winners could win over Barcelona had elevated them to that status. Yes. Um, so, and obviously Cantona came in and he made his difference, and it seems like we're rushing over that point. But I mean, well, Cantona made, if I just, well, it's just to, 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 to put the brakes on for one second, yeah. uh, before Cantona, I, I mean, Manchester United, the history of Manchester United could be called. Uh, ACBC, you know, after <laughs> yeah. Cantona, before Cantona, because um, uh, even if you look at that season, I think there were seven. I think he came in the seventeenth league match. Eric Cantona, uh, away at Arsenal, first appearance as a sub, and then a full debut in the derby. Am I right? He um, he was in in on the stands at, at Highbury, but his first appearance was was uh, in the derby. City, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, uh, 17 games, 17 goals. How many goals did United score in the next 17 games? 34. In other words, he overnight, he doubled the team's uh, threat in front of goal. Doubled it. Not added 50%. Doubled it. So... Um, uh, it, it could hardly. It is, it is a conveniently neat statistical yeah. way of saying, you know, this guy was the catalyst supreme. Um, but there was much more to it than that. Um, and and another thing that Manchester United had that season, if if I may just say, it from the neutral point of view, is that they had phenomenal um, uh, continuity. Uh, Schmeichel, Parker. Pallister, Bruce, Irwin, Giggs, Ince, McClare, Hughes. Yeah. All of them played more than 40 league matches out of 42. Yeah. It is ridiculous. And it could not happen today. Um, and I think but that, that sheer continuity 
um, of, uh, of 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 particularly the back five. Yeah, I mean that back back five, you know, must have, you know, uh, I mean, Ballister must have woken up in the middle of the night and 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 thought that was not his wife sitting next to him, but Steve Bruce. <laughs> I mean, they spent that much time together, um, but uh, they, they, they just were the the back five were just together all the time, and of course Schmeichel. Uh, already had that air of inspiration, having been the hero of the 1992 European Championship when, when Denmark, uh, well, a hero of it, certainly one of the main heroes of it, yeah. uh, when Denmark, against all the odds, having not even qualified for the European Championship, went there and uh, became uh, worthy champions of Europe. So there was just, there was a, a stardust about that that uh, that that began to settle on the team uh, during that season. Even though, yes, you could argue that they were up there with Leeds the, the year before. They undoubtedly were. But uh, And Ferguson actually thought they were going to win it the year before. But, uh, yeah, there was, there, was, there was no doubting their right to it. And I think the margin was about eight points in the end. So, they, I mean, they really, really were uh, the most worthy champions imaginable. A slight um, quirk of fate that Denmark obviously won the European Championships, the last competition, with the pass-by rule. And there was a famous sequence of them just kicking yeah. the ball back to the goalkeeper. But yes. the iron, irony of that is that Schmeichel, of course, was a, a futuristic goalkeeper, wasn't he? You know, the way that he transformed United's attacking dimension in the following season. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean he was uh, he was I mean all through right from the beginning of the career to the end of it he was accused of if anything overhitting his passes you know yeah. um, you know making it difficult for strikers to get after them but uh, um, yeah his passing I mean certainly he must look at all this uh, fuss that they make about Allison and Edison these days and think, my goodness, were people not watching football when I played? Uh, I mean, he wasn't perhaps as good a technician as them, but he certainly believed in uh, being part of the back five and the front two at the same time. And uh, uh, he, consu- you know, with his size and all that, he, he did give that air of consuming the pitch um, and uh, and contributing in, in in more than just the goalkeeping sense, um, although his goalkeeping contribution obviously is particularly in um, in 1999 is what what would be remembered for. But um, yeah, he was uh, he, he was in his way a modern goalkeeper, and um, uh, and his, uh, after a little bit of initial difficulty coping uh, with the back pass rule, really, he got the hang of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it would be a little bit too indulgent for me to talk about United for too long, although they will come up again in the um, yeah. process of play. But uh, let's shine a little bit of a light on the other teams. Um, yeah. Liverpool... Well, do you know who... Sorry, go on. Can, can, can I just go... Before we go on to Liverpool, can I just see if you can remember who the pre-season favourites were in 1992-3? It must have been Arsenal. Yeah, well done. Well yeah. done. George Graham's Arsenal. Um, and yet, they turned out, they did actually win two cups. They won the League Cup and the FA Cup in the season. So it was a good season for them. But in the league, they couldn't get a goal. They only scored 40 league goals in 42 matches, less than a goal a match. And Ian Wright got 15 of those. So, I mean, that's. Uh, 
that shows you the lack of creativity. And funnily enough, I was skipping through the squad uh, in my old Rothman's annual this morning. And uh, he must have had nine centre-halves in the squad. I mean, there were centre-halves everywhere, um, uh, including Colin Pates. I don't know if you remember him. Came from Chelsea. Uh, but, but George just seemed to be buying centre-halves for fun, plus non-creative uh, midfield players, really, like John Jensen and so on. Um, he also bought... A winger from Millwall called Jimmy Carter. Lovely bloke, actually. You'll see him around now and again. Um, but Jimmy Carter, both at Arsenal and Liverpool, um, didn't quite deliver what uh, the very high expectations um, that his pace and directness um, excited in, in, in not just fans but managers. Yeah, it was an eventful cup run for, for them, to be fair, wasn't it? Because I, was it the yes. two derbies um, were played at Wembley, right? It was um, Arsenal, Spurs and Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, both at, yeah. at Wembley over the same weekend. Yeah, that's right. It was, uh, uh, of course, Wembley was, was, was just in its infancy, I think, as a semi-final event at that, at that time. It was, it was controversial, and I think it still is. Um, and uh, in fact, when they finally, um, you know, sort of limped over the line in the uh, replay, yeah, it's the last of, minute of the replay. Yeah. Oh, the Andy Linegan, yeah, centre half. Uh, yeah, another centre half. One of their nine <laughs> centre halves. Uh, so I suppose he was. Uh, one of them was about to score. But can you remember what was strange about uh, the winning goal in the Coca-Cola Cup final? No, go on. If I say Stephen Morrow, are you beginning to understand? Did he? Stephen Morrow was a Northern Ireland international midfield player who got the winner against Sheffield Wednesday in the Coca-Cola or League Cup final. He sank to his knees in ecstasy, but was promptly picked up by Tony Adams, hugged so vigorously that he slipped out of Adams' yeah. arms like a bowl, like a bowl of soap, like a bar of soap, and landed. It was sort of like a spear tackle in rugby. Landed on his head, or would have done had he not shoved out an arm. But of course, there was a price to be paid for that, in that he broke his collarbone. Right, yeah, yeah, Stephen I remember. Yeah. So uh, that was it. You know, off for your holidays, Stephen. But uh, <laughs> you know, don't expect to be too much. You know, lying in the sun with your uh, arm in plaster. So, uh, poor old Stephen Morrow. That was uh, definitely a one-handed celebration that one that night um, with the rest of the Arsenal lads. Yeah, odd look for Sheffield Wednesday who lost in both finals, wasn't it? Well, they were, that, that was a terrific team, you know. I mean, we've already um, spoken briefly about uh, the quality in that team. David Hurst, the centre-forward, who is, I know, um, a player that, that Ferguson wanted on more than one occasion to bring to Manchester United. But um, unfortunately, David's injury record was not great and... Uh, he, he, in the end, didn't quite have the career that his ability would have merited. And, and to be quite honest, that was limitless. Um, he really had fantastic ability. But, as, you know, we did mention the others, Chris Waddle, uh, still in, absolutely in his prime. I'll tell you, really funny, I was watching the 2-1, you know, the Steve Bruce's two goals at yeah. Old Trafford. It's really funny. Waddle slips past uh, Ince. 
about 20 minutes later, Ince decides to tackle him. I mean, it's that late. It was so, it was, it was so late, most of the crowd had gone to Lou Macari's chip shop. But, but, and, then, and, 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 and uh, you know, Waddle tumbles over. And Ince goes up to the referee and says, what, what was that for? What was that for? <laughs> It was really funny. But, yeah, of course, he had a great season. Great season, Paul Ince. And, uh, you know, that kind of... Uh, he, he kind of epitomised Manchester United's resilience and uh, thing. Just one other thing about that game, though. I, I, I've always found this funny. And if anybody wants to Google it now, they can. Um, you know, everybody knows Steve Bruce got the two goals. Uh, they probably remember that Gary Pallister chased the ball out to the right wing and, and measured the cross for the second one. Um, you know, you remember lots of things. But have a look at the first one and tell me what uh, Sheffield Wednesday left back Phil King is doing on that goal line. He's marking the post. You know how they're always having arguments on the, on the telly about should they mark the post and all that kind of stuff? Well, this not not if they're Phil King, they shouldn't. As the ball goes in, uh, Steve Bruce's drifting header. As it goes in, you watch this. You go and watch this. <laughs> Phil King has his arm. He's leaning on the post. <laughs> he's leaning on the post, and trust me, he's smoking a cigar. Now, I made up the second bit, the bit about the cigar. That's not true, but he might have been. Honestly, yeah. just look at it. What world is he in? He only has one job to do, head it off the line. And he's, he just seems to be away with the fairies. Anyway, watch it. It's the funniest thing you'll ever see. Um, but uh, what he's doing, I, I mean, honestly, but if you ever see Phil, you know, don't tell him I mentioned it because he must, he must still blush every time he thinks about it. And um, I don't think the bus that he was waiting for ever came. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. Honestly, whatever he was doing, he wasn't taking part in a football match. I can promise you that. Um, you mentioned Paul Ince's uh, ah. brilliant season and the fact that yeah. you know he epitomised a lot of United style. Let's use that to transition on to another Paul who epitomised um, his team style because we haven't really talked about Aston Villa, who were the main challenges for United style, and the mm-hmm. PFA Player of the Year was Paul McGraw. Um, yeah. And, and let's, you know, wax lyrical a little bit about them because yeah. it's a typical Atkinson side. Very, and yes. while, I'm, while I'm talking about United, there are not very many managers who could claim to be a success after leaving Old Trafford, but Ron Atkinson, yeah. definitely one. Um, he'd already um, inflicted some League Cup pain with um, Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday against, against United, and he, as we go through the series, he's bound to inflict a little more pain on United's League Cup hopes. But um, at this time, it was a very typical Atkinson side, very good, very entertaining to watch. Um, they had Mark Bosnich, probably one of the best shot stoppers in the league. They had Dean Saunders up front who'd move from Liverpool, Steve Stone and absolutely relentlessly consistent left back and they also oh, had um, the goal of the season scorer with Daly and Atkinson a fantastic solo goal he scored at Wimbledon um, that's right brilliant uh, also uh, Ray Houghton played in that team yeah yeah brilliant side brilliant side wonderful it? wonderful footballer um uh, the young frog was coming through. He wasn't a bad player, good technician. Uh, they also had a young man called Dwight York who wasn't half yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the late Ugo Ekiog made a few, a few appearances. Um, Saunders was signed during the season. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, and Bosnitz finished the season, although the, the goalkeeper at the start was Nigel, Nigel Spink. Um, yeah. But also another player that I, I think is very much worthy of mention is El Barrett at oh, right yeah. back. Yeah. What a good player. Uh, Oldham Athletic, Everton, Aston Villa. You know, a very, I mean, Barrett and Stone. I mean, honestly, the more you look at them, you know, the more you think that was, a, that was a hell of a side. They might easily have won that league. But, uh, you know, you cannot pick a, a, for me, anyway, you can't pick a team that has Paul McGrath in it and he, well, uh, and he isn't a candidate for, for the best of the lot. I, I would say that I've, in, in my career as a football, 40 years as a football writer in the uh, Premier League or First Division, Saw a lot of centre-backs. Um, and I would say my top two would be uh, Paul McGrath and Ledley King. Basically, it didn't have a knee between the two of them. Uh, could hardly train because of these dis- this disability. Um, but wonderful players who taught themselves to make their own time uh, so they didn't have to get into too many races, or they would, oddly enough, both very quick. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, the other thing about McGrath is if, you, if you've got a problem in midfield, you haven't got a problem anymore, you put him in midfield. Yeah. Uh, the Republic of Ireland often did at the very, very highest level. World Cup saw him play midfield for Republic of Ireland against, uh, you know, the great Italian team in 1994. I mean, the, he could do anything. He could do absolutely anything. And he always did it with a bit of style. Um, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic player. I think um, perhaps understated or perhaps never stated because no one's ever drawn the comparison, but I, I think that sort of versatility had a big impact on um, Roy Keane when he went to United because if he took Roy Keane in different positions, yeah. he would often still be the best man on the pitch because of yes. that sort of um, full-blooded attitude, which I think um, McGraw must have definitely influenced because there was a yes. leave-everything-on-the-pitch kind of mentality between them, wasn't there? Yes, yes, I, I definitely they've got that in common. And, and uh, uh, that's true about Keane. I think you could... You, you know, could I'd, I'd like to ask him the question. I mean, did, uh, how many games did did he play out of position? You know, because I remember seeing him in 1992-3, uh, or just and just before playing for Forest, and he was very much a goal-scoring midfield player. Mm. Um, I think he'd already started to sort of pay more attention to defensive uh, uh, responsibilities, um, but uh, yeah, he. He, 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 when I first saw him, you know, he was an he was an auxiliary forward. He he he, he, he was desperate to score. He was desperate to score, and he was not frightened to shoot from twenty five yards. But how many twenty five yard shots did you see him have in his last fifteen years at Old Trafford? You know, because he, his attitude was, well, the others can do that. I'd rather run. The team, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's true. It's funny how how, how players change. I mean, it, it just rep- it reminds me of, of of what what Dennis Law once said that he, every game he played for Manchester United, he played out of position. One of the greatest strikers in the world considered himself Brian Robson. He, <laughs> Dennis Law, thought he was Brian Robson. He thought he was box to box. He still scored lots of goals the way 
Uh, Brian did, but uh, you know he, he was convinced he was a box-to-box midfield player. But he said, "Well, if Matt Busby wants to be to play there, I'm going to have to do it." You know. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody would have begrudged um, anyone at United would have begrudged Atkinson or McGraw a league title. But you know, no. obviously not at the expense of United. Um, it's a shame that they no. didn't get one, um, especially McGraw, because like you said, he was absolute Rolls Royce of a. Yeah, defender. Um, but, if, but, but you know, people forget that Ferguson, you know, made quite a lot of sacrifices. You know, if anything proves it's a team game, you yeah. know, uh, the, 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 the sacrifices Ferguson made um, in terms of the the culture of the, the lifestyle culture, the drink culture, um, in getting rid of uh, Norman Whiteside and and Paul McGrath. Um, not Brian Robson, but uh, you know, I think he felt uh, that those two players at that time were going through. You know, uh, the, the lifestyle was not uh, um, uh, not suitable for being a professional Manchester United footballer. And and let's face it, he's, he's not. He's, he's, I think history has probably proved him proved first, right? Yeah. Um... It's a strange league because as, as strong challenges as Villa were, they were part of that group of teams like you mentioned, Norwich City and Blackburn Rovers. Who, yeah, they were they were so good, but it was such a competitive league that once you had yeah. Cantona with United, it sort of elevated them to the to get out of that pack and be on their own. And yeah, it needed something special. Uh, you know, as as they say, you know, in many European countries, you know, the player who makes the difference. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Cantona is probably one of the greatest examples of that in the history of the game. Uh, so yeah, it needed something to to set United apart from from the pack. You know, um, I mean, but the, one or two others that that come to mind. I mean, I, I hope we'll talk about Man City at one stage because there's a couple of aspects of them, uh, and we'll, you know, you've indicated we want to definitely look at Liverpool. Uh, don't forget QPR fifth, great a great QPR side as well. Over yeah. Jerry Francis, absolutely a lovely footballing side played. Played football on a on a mud heap, um, and uh, down at Loftus Road. But yes, very 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 good side uh, QPR, and uh, and you know deservedly fifth. So it was it, it was it, it it should give us pause for thought, you know, about uh, uh, how the league was much more of a unitary league. Um, in which everybody could beat everybody else compared with uh, what it has been in more recent years. Yeah. Um, quick note on Liverpool, and they were managed... Yeah. They, what they'd yeah. done is basically they hired Roy Keane as their manager, hadn't they? <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they got great yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, yes. and, and that's the folly. If you people look at United these days, and I, to be fair, often I've, I've mused the idea of Roy Keane going in and ch- sort of chasing up that dressing room and raising yes. a few standards, but then you've yeah. got the other danger of those standards are so impossibly high that... Um, you, you're just never going to reach him. And do you think yeah. that maybe that was a, a thing for Sunes that he was frustrated that the players just weren't? You had a lot yes, of aging players at the, at the time as well. Yes, I think I think uh, every generation's uh, you know moves on in one way or another. I, oddly enough, I was watching something on the um, on YouTube the other day uh, with um, John Terry uh, talking. You know, while football was still on, about um, you know, w- would that be a problem for him in management? That the kind of uh, 
um, what might now be called a sort of almost a bullying culture yeah. of the way uh, junior players were sort of toughened by their treatment at the hands of the coaches and the and the senior players. Um, in his day, it wouldn't be allowed. And, and, you know, that now you have to almost counsel the players for a few weeks until they get over the fact that you've told them to practice on the left foot, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think that was a classic example of that. I think uh, possibly, you know, Sunes, despite his, his experience in Italy um, as a player, was... Yeah, a little bit um, rash in some ways. Also, I mean, don't forget that it was a long-term decay that he was trying to um, to put right. And when you have got this constant sort of treadmill of success, as Liverpool had, um, the most consistently successful institution in the history of the English game at, up till 1990. Um, the, it's quite easy. You, you you make one bad buy and it doesn't really matter um, uh, because nobody really notices. The guy goes for a similar fee a year later and, and, you, and you try again. Um, but Liverpool had made a lot of buys who had no culture, basically, to aspire to, yeah. as, as in Sunes's day. I mean, anybody going into the dressing room there, they'd be scared of... Of upsetting Sunez, Hansen, um, Lawrence, and uh, Dalglish above all, they'd be scared of not pleasing them. So it would have a self-perpetuating effect. If you go into a dressing room and you see Paul Stewart, uh, uh, David Burrows, even David James, you know, it, it's not going to frighten you, is it? Um, you're going to say, well, you know. Wait until you've made world-class careers, you know, before yeah. you look down your nose at me. So it uh, it was difficult. It was very, very difficult. And uh, uh, the chairman uh, tried to uh, um, David Moores, uh, who was a good good man, tried to stick with him, but uh, it was never going to work. Um, you want and to finish the finish sixth. Yeah, and, and Arsenal, who won the cups, finished. Was it tenth? They finished. I mean, yeah, yeah, the tenth, tenth, so it's, um, tenth. That's right, and they, they, they definitely wouldn't have been in the top half, but for uh, Ian Wright's goals, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's so, right. um, you mentioned Manchester City, and this is a time yeah. when Manchester City was a very different football club. Um, yes, lovingly renowned as typical City, even by their own yeah. fans, weren't they at the time? <laughs> yeah. It's the idea that they could win three on the bounce, lose three on the bounce, and nobody would. Well, the, f- the famous uh, Francis Lee quote, wasn't it? After they come back from a European defeat, oh, uh, bloody. He said, "I won't. I won't attempt the Bolton accent, but bloody hell!" He says, "If there, if there was a, a a cup for cock-ups, we'd win it every year." <laughs> and, uh, and that was the feeling about City. And, and uh, I think they got a bit. A lot of the fans got a bit annoyed that you know everybody up and down the country loved City for their um, sort of dilettante qualities. But if you were trying to make a career, it wasn't so funny. Um, and uh, I remember one player at that time. Um, and uh, it, it, it's he's largely forgotten his name was well two, David White. Yeah. Uh, do you remember David White? Really I good mean, City had it. Uh, he was and 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 outside right goal scoring outside right as well. Um, he, he was a big strong boy and he scored goals and he was very quick. And um, he came 
in at a time when City were doing very well in terms of youth production. Yeah. Clive Wilson, Andy Hinchcliffe, uh, Redmond, you know, there were some good lads. But the best of the lot, potentially, I think, along with White, was uh, Paul Lake. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever saw Paul Lake, but uh, uh, he was, um, you know, people now talk about uh, uh, Kevin De Bruyne as the nearest thing to Colin Bell. Well, Paul Lake was the nearest thing to Colin Bell at his time, in his time. Uh, wonderful uh, player, pace, uh, ability, uh, could score goals. Um, uh, but unfortunately, he got a terrible knee injury. And in this 1992 season, 92-3 season that we're talking about, he, he made an abortive comeback um, after two years out. So it, it's it's just so sad to reflect. Um, uh, I mean, Paul still, uh, you may have read a book he wrote a few it's years ago. Book, yeah. yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of work. The very bright boy is Paul and still keeps alive in, the, in you know, keeps his name alive in the, um, in the social media and so on and by public speaking and, uh, and a great lad. But, uh, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, you can't help but think what might have been. At least David White had got into the England team um, under uh, under Graham Taylor. I remember him scoring in against Spain in Santander. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, who else was playing? Well, uh, Mick, uh, Mickey Quinn, uh, uh, Niall Quinn yeah. was playing uh, under the player management of his mate Peter Reid. Um, who was who was Niall Quinn's striking partner? Uh, you won't get it. You won't get it. No, I, I, I was. I would say Uwe Russell, but I think he came in the year after. He, he, so. he was. He was. He was there about that time. No, it was a lad called Mike Sheeran, and yeah. he did well. Yeah. And he got quite a few goals, and uh, yep, he did fine. The uh, goalkeeper, and I think he was an ever present. Uh, ended up on the coaching staff at, yeah. at Manchester United. Absolutely, Tony Colton. Yeah. Tony Colton. Yeah. So it was a it was a decent Man City team and uh, and finished in mid table. So while we um, so apologies to any supporters of teams that we've missed, but we do want to. Well, like Chelsea, like <laughs> Chelsea. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll, Chelsea will. We'll, there'll be plenty of opportunity to talk about. Oh them. my Definitely word! Definitely the next episode because they. My word! If we if 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 God permits us to to reach the early uh, part of this millennium, I think we'll be hearing more than enough of Chelsea. <laughs> get, get sick of them after Rebel. Oh, I think we might be. Yeah. To to close on the teams that we've summarised. Um, Nottingham yep. Forest, which we did, we did start with. Um, they they started the season with that one 0 win over over Liverpool. Over, over, over Liverpool, and yeah. then this is a sign of the competitiveness of the league. You've got Forest. Uh, they actually won four one at Leeds in December, which is unbelievable. When I was looking at that, I couldn't remember it. I thought, yeah, that can't yep. be right. But we were talking two about goals, two goals for Keeney. Absolutely, yes. yeah, absolutely, yeah. and uh, one for Nigel Clough and the other for Kingsley Black who was another of those players that I was telling you about, you know, the lovely technicians. Ian Wohn was another. Yeah. Lovely technicians, but not, um, you know, not, not, not physical specimens, you know? Ian Wohn um, will feature heavily in a, another episode because he... Uh, he had a knack for scoring spectacular goals, which Kent United's yeah. benefit in the in '96 Cup uh, league running. But on, you know on, what he's doing now. You know what Ian Warren's doing now, don't you? Go on. 
He's the right-hand man of Sean Deitch at Burnley. That's right. I, doing I, very well. Doing very well indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, when you consider that he's, uh, he's uh, learned, he began his education under Brian Clough, I suppose you... I suppose it uh, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely. But I mean, it was such a sad way as well because Forest went; they did go down. By the way, like that spoiler alert for anyone. We're talking about how yeah. well they did in the yeah. season, but they actually did go down. And um, and Brian Clough, he, he announced he was going to retire at the end anyway, and then he did retire, and they got relegated. And there's the famous clip of Martin Tyler talking to him about that, you know, about and he speaks so matter of factly, you know, like, oh, we went down because we weren't good enough, and it was simple as yeah. that. But it was such a sad, a sad end to which is really one of the most remarkable stories in British football. Yeah, so he, he uh, behaved as if unaware of. Uh, yeah. Uh, it almost uh, a bit, a bit, what was the test match where um, uh, where the great uh, the great bats uh, the great Australian batsman oh, the best batsman Donald Bradman that's right last test match in England he got bowled for a duck or something it was a little bit like that you know but Clough didn't appear to realise how iconic the moment of his relegation, you know, would yeah. be, you know, how extraordinary for those who remembered him as, 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 as poss- arguably the greatest genius of, of management history, yeah. arguably. It's a sad so, end. So, sad end, yep. Yeah. And they, um, they lost their, well, they, they took one point from the last four matches, only won one of their last eight so um, yeah, there was no question that they they had they had to go. The other two teams who went down were uh, Crystal Palace, uh, and uh, Steve Coppel was the manager uh, in succession to Alan Smith, and he also um, decided to resign. And Middlesbrough. Um, so that was that was the three who went down. And uh, as we come to our next season. Uh, 93-4 um, I can tell you that uh, the um, exciting entrance to the league include not only West Ham United but a Newcastle invigorated by Kevin Keegan yeah. they, they went up like a shot they were brilliant in the in the old first division. As they, well. they were uh, uh, absolutely brilliant, and um, and 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 they were promoted um, with um, an average crowd. I mean, just to give you an idea, the Stretford end at Manchester United was being rebuilt, and Manchester United's average crowd in this season, with just the title season of 92-3, was thirty-five and a half thousand. Liverpool's marginally higher, but not by much. Arsenal's. 24,000. They had the, um, the, the behind the gold in there, they had the, the, the yeah, cardboard stand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, 27,000. Um, and Chelsea, 19. But Newcastle, 29. In, yeah. the, in the lower division, which gives you an idea of the kind of excitement uh, that the Premier League was to get um, in that next uh, 1993-4 and in ensuing seasons from Newcastle. 
let's a little bit of a summary of the the game of the season. Then I mean, let's be frank. Obviously, there's one game that stands out more than any other, which is the United mm-hmm. and Sheffield Wednesday game, which we've already spoken mm-hmm. about because mm-hmm. of Steve mm-hmm. Bruce's intervention. But yeah. we have we've discussed it already on this show and already on the United podcast that we did at some length. So, in the interest of freshness, I wanted to choose something different, um, and my choice would be Norwich, Manchester United at. Carroll Road, yes, it is biased, but mm-hmm. I think in terms of it being such a seminal um, tone setter, really, in terms of how how United would play in, in the years to come, because you were mentioning about the strong defence and the way that they'd um, sort of built that foundation, this was really the first game, because Kanchelski, so a lot of people talk about how well he played in the following season, and I guess we'll get to that, but he, mm-hmm. it's often forgotten, but he, he was almost anchoring for a transfer for Arthur this season. He, he was unsettled and he wanted to go, but then you've got this moment in time at Carrow Road where Cantona plays as this attacking pivot alongside Kanchelskis and Giggs either side of him, and mm-hmm. it just worked like a dream. The, the penetration was unbelievable, and they scored three goals in the first 21 minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, which was the, the Sheffield Wednesday game came after that, which is a test of a different kind. But this was the first of the seven consecutive wins, which would bring United the title. And and for me, because it was so symbolic and because it was so representative of the way that United were going to play for the next few years, really, um, for me that stands out as the game of the season. Um, you mentioned a couple, Paddy. You yeah. mentioned the seven-one to uh, Blackburn against Norwich. Um, yeah, so many unpredictable results that season. You had Black. Burn themselves losing 5-2 at home to mid-table Coventry in January as well, so um, yeah. are there any other games that stand out for you? Well, no, I particularly remember I was just going to mention one of the goals in uh, one of the uh, Shearer goal yeah. uh, which he just uh, sort of lifted it, lofted it, drifted it over the keeper, uh, he saw the keeper off his line and drifted it, now normally Shearer beat people for pace yeah. but uh, it was like uh, suddenly, I don't know Michael Holding deciding he'd just sort of give one a bit of air <laughs> and spin it, but uh, uh, no, it was um, that was a that was an incredibly ch- an, 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 an uncharacteristically cheeky goal by 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 a player who was deadly ruthlessly effective, but uh, yeah, that would <clears throat> no, I, I can't remember um, um, many others um, except. Um, uh, uh, another one, another Blackburn game, actually, um, which was in April, um, the one that ended Aston Villa's uh, uh, challenge. Uh, it was, in, I think, late late April. Um, I mean, Villa. Bear in mind, Villa were the were the were the top challengers. Uh, this 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 marvelous team, um, but they lost lost three nil at Blackburn, and that sort of was a. Uh, a sign of, of of things to come from Blackburn, you know, that this was now a big club. Bear in mind it was bought, you know, that they they bought just just yeah. about the whole team. Bought very, very astutely, by the way. People talk about um you know, money bags, Blackburn and Uncle Jack Walker's millions. Um but you know they oh yes they paid three point four million for for uh, or whatever it was for um, Alan Shearer, but bear in mind that in the same season, uh, Liverpool play, paid 2.3 million, in other words, only 1.1 million less to Spurs for Paul Stewart. So, you know, that was, you, 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 even if you've got money, you've got to spend it well. And uh, and, and Blackburn Rovers certainly did on on 
on every player uh, as they, I mean, they didn't make many mistakes as they built uh, this uh, this tremendous side. But the game that uh, that we are talking about uh, against Villa, um, Kevin Gallagher got one of the goals. Uh, again, it was all over by half time, and the other two were scored by Mike Newell. Uh, uh, again, you know, a, a very, very ruthless and dedicated goal scorer. And um, I, I've got fond memories of, of Blackburn as well uh, from that time. I, uh, who are the ones we've missed out? Who are the ones? Coventry, you just mentioned Coventry. Um, Coventry, who um, at, at that stage had, had not been. Never been relegated, as far as I can remember. No, they, the they? Coventry had a, the make. They were a very good mid-table side. Um, I think let, let's be fair. There is a lot of sides like Wimbledon and Everton and Sheffield United. I'm sure we'll talk about them in the next show. So yeah. it's not like we're doing them a disservice. Southampton with Matt Letizia, that's obviously going to come up as well. Um, and we'll definitely have to talk about Oldham Athletic because uh, they. Yeah. They uh, they beat Manchester United during that 1992 series 1-0. Yeah. Was it the last uh, defeat as well? It might Adams be. header. Adams header at the far post. Michael was furious. So, uh, yep, little Neil Adams, tiny little winger, he- towering header at the far post. So, yeah, there's uh, um yeah, there's a lot still to talk about, and we'll definitely mention the clubs we haven't mentioned. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to do, um, anger any fans by saying that, because obviously, I mean, we didn't really go into length at the, the relegated sides, Palace and Middlesbrough, but they are coming back, so they're, they're going to get... They're some, all on the way back. Yeah, they're all on the way back. Um, a little bit of a summary of the... Um, the the football league Paddy mentioned the promoted sides there Newcastle were coming up and pre- playing some brilliant football um, Martin O'Neill formerly of Forest he won the he won promotion to football league with Wickham Wanderers and yeah. the best story though Paddy and I didn't realise this because I was only a young a youngster at the time but Barnet who arguably had the most eventful season of anyone in the football league. They got promoted from Division 3, and that was despite the controversial uh, chairman, Stan Flashman, sacking yeah, fat, fat Stan Flashman, yeah. <laughs> the ticket doubt. <laughs> he, um, he sacked and reinstated manager Barry yeah. Fry three times, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. It was, uh, it was like a pantomime down there, but... Uh, yeah, um, uh, an interesting addition to the league, that's fair to say. Um, it's also another, perhaps a little slightly more poignant, uh, you know, Barry got uh, into the playoffs, uh, yeah. Division 3, uh, promoted from Division 2 uh, with Bolton Wanderers and Stoke. So, yeah, interesting. It always interesting to look at, uh, at, at leagues as they used to be um. and... Uh, and a little footnote to end the um, to to end the show on um, was the Financial Times of of the time. I run through the the shirt sponsors of the time. You had yeah. the Sheffield clubs sponsored by local businesses there. Um, Sheffield United by the Steelwork Company and Sheffield Wednesday by Sanderson. I think it was. They'd previously yeah. been sponsored by as does the supermarket as well. Southampton by Hampshire-based Draper Tools. Middlesbrough by ICI, the Imperial Chemical Industries of there in, in the northeast. A time yeah. paddy where players would be sponsored by local businesses which were listed in the match programmes as well. 
Yes, yes, absolutely, and and had proper adverts around the thing instead of uh, sort of electronic logos chasing each other around the pitch, which drives us mad. But uh, yeah, I used to, you know, when players. I, I mean, I, the thing I can remember, I can remember it was at Everton. Uh, there was a particular centre forward there that was a bit wayward with his shooting. He was a good player, but he was wayward with his shooting. His name was Imre Varadi. And, 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 uh, and the one thing about him was that he was never afraid. He was never afraid to shoot. He always showed, you know. So he'd have 10 shots a game, every game, you know, but yeah. not all of them went on target. So the press, I promise you, the journalists used to have a uh, sweep before the game. And all, there were so many different adverts uh, on the, uh, behind the Gladys Road stand. Uh, all, all for Bloggs's knitwear or uh, so-and-so's Higson's beer or whatever. And we put them all in the hat and you'd draw, you'd, you'd put in a, a shilling or a quid or whatever it was and you'd get uh, a billboard. And the first one uh, that uh, Inbury Variety hit, uh, the person who had that <laughs> billboard won, won the sweep. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> to be fair, it's not really. I mean, it makes it sound disrespectful now, because but he was a good player, you know. But uh, yeah, uh, that was that was that was how we kept ourselves amused in the press boxes. Now it can be told away from the football lies. Um, yes, yes. Well, that's it for our summary of the 1992-93 season, um, the start of a new era in British football. Some might say it was the beginning of the end of the way things were. Thanks for listening to our first episode. In these times of social responsibility, I put out the call on social media to inquire about any independent businesses who might need or want an opportunity to have the word spread about their work. And you'll have noticed from the intro that we introduced three such companies. I wanted to give a little time to talk about them in further detail on this first podcast. The first is the Sports Freelance Collective, which is a tremendous organisation comprising several organisations for sports freelancers in the media that were struggling at the moment, including not only the Football Writers Association, the Sports Journalists Association, the groups for black and ethnic communities and the writers within, and the LGBT plus communities as well, the very best sports writers in the country. You can find the Sports Freelance Collective on Facebook, and information can also be obtained by the FWA website. It's a cause that Paddy and I both strongly believe in. Second was Tony Park Consulting. Tony can teach people business skills in areas of leadership. That's performance management, giving feedback, motivation, delegation, visioning, managing change, coaching, and in sales. That's prospecting, pipeline management, sales behaviours, sales processes, buying cycles, presenting, negotiating, closing skills and account management. It's all normally done face-to-face, but it's easily done via the web as well. Tony can offer individual or group sessions from 45 minutes to half a day. It's a great way to develop skills of you or your staff whilst they're at home at this time. And finally, Walk, Wag, Play, which is a dog walking company and training company based in Cardiff. Their motto is doing right by your dog. And they teach dogs how to make good decisions and to be good canine citizens. You can follow them on social media at Walk Wag Play and head over to Walk Wag Play Training on Facebook for ideas and tips for what to do with your dog while you're self-isolating. 
Finally, our intro music is courtesy of my good friend Pete Yon. It is a song Calm Down from his record Caretakers. Calm Down, which is an apt message for these days. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll be back very soon.